I would encourage you to to grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Genesis, so start in Genesis chapter 2. Maybe you're visiting with us today and you don't have your own copy of God's Word, if that's the case. When one of the chairs in front of you, if you're watching here within the room with us, uh, there are copies of God's Word. It's a smaller black book. If you turn to the first book of the Bible there, Genesis, we're going to spend time looking at each one of those mothers that we just saw within the video. But particularly, we're going to be spending time in Genesis. Nancy Hanks was born on February the 5th, 1784, in what is now known as a small unincorporated community in Mineral County, West Virginia, named Antioch. Now, at that time, details of her adolescent years have been scarce, but we have been able to find out a few things about her. We found out that she was a farm girl, that she enjoyed time on the farm with her family. And at the age of nine, both Nancy's parents passed away and she moved from land in West Virginia to land that would be eventually known as a part of Kentucky with her uncle Richard Berry and his family. Now the Berry family was well known there within the community. And it was there that she developed a friendship with a man whose name was Thomas Lincoln. Thomas lived on a nearby 238-acre farm, and the friendship between Nancy and Thomas grew and grew, and on June the 12th, 1806, they got married. Their marriage produced three children. The oldest was named Sarah Lincoln, the youngest, Thomas Lincoln Jr., and he died three days after his birth. But the youngest is the one whom most of us would know the best, And that's Abraham Lincoln, the the eventual 16th president of the United States, who was born on February the 12th, 1809. Unfortunately, Abraham was not able to know his mother for very long in life. She passed away when he was nine years old. And on October the 5th, 1818, Nancy Lincoln died from what was known as milk sickness during this time. This was when a cow would eat a poisonous white snake root and they would produce milk and Nancy took of that milk and it poisoned her. Now Nancy was known as a servant and caring for many other people and that was characterized even as she became ill as she was going to take care of her neighbors as she did that. Lincoln understood the impact that his mother made both in his life and in the life of others. In that short nine-year span there, he continued to remember his mother's example throughout his life. And after her death, he referred to her as his angel mother, even telling his future biographer, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. The majority of us sitting in this room would echo Lincoln's comments. Outside of God, the person that has made the most significant impact within your life, or one that's at least definitely up there, is your mother. Mothers are important figures within our personal lives and throughout the fabric of society. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to society are mothers. And mothers are vitally important figures within all of our lives. So as we study the Bible this morning and as we study the story of Abraham Lincoln and his mothers, we're going to see several things. First of all, we're going to see that there are many different types of God-honoring mothers. 
The majority of mothers that we think about are biological mothers, but that's not the only mothers that we think about. There are also stepmothers, there are adopted mothers, and there, for many of us, are strong spiritual mothers as well. Now, regardless of the category that you find yourself in, if you find yourself in any of these categories this morning, remember that God is using your circumstances, the titles that you have, the responsibilities that you have, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, for your good and for his glory. Second, we see this, that God gifted you with your mother. That your mother, regardless of the relationship that you currently have or if she has passed that you had with her, is a gift of God's grace. Out of all the women called mother, God gifted you with yours, and he had divine purpose and plan in doing so. And it's my hope that you'll have takeaways today on how you can serve and honor your mother or the motherly figures within your life this morning. Now, as we study these biblical examples, we'll see this, that a biblical mother is not perfect. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's never been a person that has walked this earth that has been perfect. And as we study these mothers, we'll see that they sinned against God. Eve disobeyed God and brought sin into the world. Sarah was impatient and had her maidservant bear a son on her behalf. Leah struggled with feeling unloved and kept hoping that as she had children, her husband would finally love her. Naomi felt hopeless. Yet throughout these stories, we see that these women were not perfect, but we see God's sovereignty as a theme through each of these stories. And that's because a biblical mother is greatly used by God. God greatly uses mothers to impact our lives. Regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, there have been people, mothers, whether it's our mother or someone else's biological mother, that has made great impacts within our life. Regardless of if our mother's still around, regardless of the relationship that we had with her, we can finally see this, that a biblical mother's example is one we can all glean from. Probably half or more of the people that are here within the room listening or streaming our services this morning are never going to be able to be a mother. Whether that's biologically, whether that's just the way that the Lord orchestrates your life, you're not going to be able to be a mother. But yet as we look here within the text of scripture and as we look throughout the church, we will see that biblical mothers have examples that all of us can glean from and that God greatly uses them. So as we look here within biblical mothers within the scriptures, we're going to first look at the first mother, and that's Eve, known as the mother of all living. I would encourage you to look at Genesis chapter number two, where we see the creation, first marriage, and then here in a little bit, the first mother. As we see this text here, we see first of all this, that men, women, and marriage were a part of God's perfect design. Let's look here within chapter two, and we're gonna look at verses 18 to 24. They share with us this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, 
there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that, was, that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. As we open up this text, we see God's perfect created design. God created man, and he created a helper that was suitable for this man. And we see God's perfect plan and design in this. And as we see this, we see that in Genesis 2.18, that it shares with us that there is this word used called a helper fit for him, or these words used for that. And what that shares with us is that a woman compliments her husband. A woman compliments her husband, or that in God's perfect design of things, he created two genders, male and female. And within our society today, where we are seeing so much confusion about this topic, we see that God made it really simple. He made it in his perfect design, and that's the way that he created it to be. And he created it to be in such a way that the woman that he created was a helper fit for her husband. Now, some commentators would note that this would be better translated as a helper matching him or that it literally means a helper corresponding to him or that they are participating together in the same relationship. Men and women go together. It's the way that God designed it to be. And that word helper that's used there in no way implies that a woman is unequal, that they're lesser than a man. In fact, if we're to study that word, it actually is often used to describe God helping his children with their needs. Women complicate or compliment. <laughs> that, that, that too. I did not plan that, I promise. Oh, man. Women compliment, and I have to give a lot of them out now, their husbands. God created men and women to be equal in value, but with different skill sets to help one another flourish personally and spiritually. They complement one another. They go together. I love the way the Believer's Bible Commentary says this. They say, woman was not taken from Adam's head to dominate him, nor from his feet to be trodden down, but from under his arm to be protected and from near his heart to be loved. Women and men go together. It's the way that God created it. And we see Eve as the first mother. Eve is the first mother within the Bible. Looking at Genesis chapter three, verse 20, it says that Adam gave a name to Eve. Adam gave a name to the woman and he named her Eve. It says, the man, or the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve was the first mother. Her name literally means life giver. And before the fall, we see God creating man and woman, telling them to be fruitful and multiply. This concept of women bearing children and doing these things 
was before the fall, and Eve was the first woman that was able to be able to do that. Second, then, we see Sarah. Sarah is known as the promised woman. Turn now to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 shares with us the story of Sarah. And as we see Sarah within the text, we see that for Sarah, becoming pregnant seemed impossible. It shares with us in Genesis 16, verses one through four, that Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Verse four, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Stop there. We see that Sarah was barren within the text. She was unable to become pregnant. Based off what we see here in scripture, it doesn't look like she had any hope of being able to become pregnant. And this frustration that she had over the circumstances that God allowed within her life, her discontentment boiled over as she chose to sin against God by having her servant Hagar sleep with her husband. Now, this was actually something that happened during this time because during this time period, there was a legal custom that allowed a barren woman to give her maid as an additional wife to her husband. Now, the first child that the maid and the husband would have together would be regarded as the wife's first child. And that was how Ishmael, who God greatly used, was born. Despite this being an allowed custom during this time, though, it remained contrary to God's law, and it led to painful consequences that we clearly see through all involved. We see that Sarah's contempt of Hagar within this story becomes so strong that she mistreats her to the point that she, fled, that she fleds out into the wilderness just to get away from her. We see an angel speaking to the servant, telling her to go back and to serve under Sarah. And then as we go to chapter 17, which I would encourage you to turn to now, we see this text picking up 13 years later after Ishmael is born. There we see God speaking to Abram, soon to be called Abraham, and telling him that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Then he shares some news about Sarah. Chapter 17 Verses 15 through 21 share with us this. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, all oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. We see Sarah within this text and this promise that is being given to her that she is going to be able to have a child. And what we see from this text is that God's promises always hold true despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The circumstances that that Sarah was found in gave no earthly explanation that she could have a child. Yet God performed a biological miracle in her life. Now, based on modern biological data, it's determined right now that at the age of 45, that a woman has only a very slim chance of being able to conceive a baby naturally without additional fertility treatments or help. Think about this for a second. Sarah was over twice that age as we find her here within the text. Her getting pregnant and successfully nurturing and birthing a child was an impossibility. Yet God came in and does what he does. He promised something that, was hold, that would hold true despite the circumstances that Sarah found herself in. It shares with us in chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, that the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised, that she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. It continues to go on sharing about Isaac's circumcision. And it shares with us in verse 6 that Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age age. God performed this biological miracle in Sarah's life. And this child was named Isaac, his name, meaning that he laughs or rejoices. God turned Sarah's deepest disappointment into her greatest earthly joy. As some of you listening this morning may be facing or have faced a struggle similar to that of Sarah. You have tried and you have tried and you have tried to have children, yet it hasn't happened. For others, God has gifted you the gift of singleness, and especially on a day like Mother's Day, it really doesn't feel like much of a gift. Where deeply you'd love to celebrate this holiday, but as a mother, as the opportunity to be a mother, that door has just remained shut, and it is the deepest struggle you face. Know and remember that regardless of the situation, regardless of your struggle, just as we see here within the text, just as we see with Sarah, God is a miracle-working God. That he can, that he will, if it be his will, answer your prayers. He can turn your deepest disappointment into your greatest earthly joy. That's who God is. That's what he does. And next, we're going to turn our attention then to Isaac's son, Jacob, and his wife, Leah. As next, we see Leah, the forgotten mother. And I would encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 29, where we see Leah, a mother who felt like an unloved and unwanted wife. 
As we open up this text in Genesis chapter number 29, at the beginning of this story, we find Jacob. And Jacob is arriving in Padam Aram, and he is meeting shepherds from Haran, a place that he knew of because he had an uncle, Laban, who lived there. Now, these men inform Jacob that uh, his uncle it lives close by there, and it's there he sees a girl named Rachel, Laban's daughter, and he has a love at first sight experience. Turn to verse 9 there within the text, where it shares with us that while he was still speaking with him, Rachel came with his father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his, her father's kinsman, and that was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, her sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are, bone, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Sarah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give you to her than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. We see from this story that this man deeply loved Rachel. He loved her so much that he served his uncle for seven years to be able to have permission to marry her. Yet those seven years seemed to him but to be just a few days because of his great love for her. He was literally intoxicated by this love. Everywhere he was going, whatever the work that he was doing, he was thinking about Rachel. Yet we see a tragic circumstance happen within this text next because it shares with us in verse 21 that J then Jacob said to Laban after this seven-year period, give for me my wife that I may go in to her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went to her. Verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you with Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not, done in our, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and then completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter to be Rachel, his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. 
What we see here within the text is that of an incredibly tragic circumstance. Jacob's joyfulness over finally being able to marry Rachel quickly turns into a terrible nightmare as he finds himself in bed with Leah, Laban's firstborn daughter, and not Rachel. As we study this text, we see that Jacob really is being disciplined for his past actions of deception with his brother. But we also see the sinfulness of Laban here, who shouldn't have done this within the text. We see this, that it's a mess all the way around. But we're going to turn our attention towards Leah, who is a true victim here within this unfortunate circumstance. Leah felt unloved. It shares with us in verse 31 that it says that the Lord, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, it shares with us in verse 30 before that, that Isaac loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Leah went through her beginning parts of her marriage feeling absolutely rejected. Just seven days after being married to this man, she found that her husband was marrying her sister and he was serving an additional seven years for her. Imagine the pain and heartbreak that you would know knowing that her father had deceived the man who never truly wanted to be your wife, that he then married your sister and served another seven years for her. Imagine knowing that you were never truly the person that the person that you were supposed to have your deepest relationship with on this earth never truly felt that way about you. That's how Leah felt. Yet it shares with us in verse 31 that the Lord saw that she was hated, but that he opened up her womb, but Rachel, her sister, was barren. Leah, the text shares with us, quickly bore four sons before Rachel bore any children. And that just added more fuel to the fire of their relationship because they were sisters who were married to the same guy and one got pregnant four times before the first was even able to get pregnant at all. It was a terrible situation. But how Leah deals with this, her response shares with us much about her character. Because we see that as Leah birthed these four children, she gave them names that reflected the trials that the Lord was allowing her to go through. Her first child, Reuben, was named, basically meaning the word see, or that the Lord had seen her her misery, that God acknowledged the pain that she she was going through. Her second son, Simeon, was named to hear. God heard that Leah was not loved. God saw this. He heard this. Third, Levi was attached. And that was named for Leah's hope that her husband would become attached to her. Her fourth son, Judah, his name meant let him be praised. And that was named for Leah's response. That her response to these things, even though her husband wasn't truly loving her, was that she was going to praise the Lord. God later allowed Leah to have three additional children, two sons and a daughter. And what we see from Leah's example within the text is this, that though others reject us, God's love, his purposes and plans for our lives remain true. Despite the deep pain and rejection that Leah felt from the sins of others, she ultimately found her joy in God. She named her child saying that she would praise the Lord. God used her ministry to her family and her six sons became six of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Despite the pain and rejection that she faced, God's love, purposes, and plans for her remain true. Leah married a man who was never interested in her in the first place. Yet we see God redeeming this terrible tragedy and trial that she went through from his glory and for her good. Some of you this morning may be in a marriage very similar to Leah, where the marriage hopes and dreams that you had at this point seem like a nightmare and it feels like a constant struggle for you where the person that you thought was going to be your closest earthly companion is far from it. I hope that you will be encouraged in knowing that God can and will redeem your trials. He can take these terrible circumstances and make much good out of them. Remember that ultimately, the health of your marriage, the health of your familial relationships don't define you. Christ defines you if you are found in him. And much like Leah, God can work much good in these difficult trials and circumstances within your life. And I would say that there are many women here within this church that are mothers in incredibly difficult marriage situations. Yet they remain faithful to God and they remain faithful to their husbands, much like Leah did. And they are a blessing to our church family. If that's you, I would encourage you to keep praying, to keep loving, to keep trying, knowing that you are a blessing to our church body, knowing that God is honored and, and that you are serving him well as you continue to serve despite the circumstances that you're under. Next, we see Jochebed. Now, Jochebed is known as the sacrificial mother. And she's a woman that we don't see too much within the text of scripture. But much like many other mothers, they are so rightfully characterized by their sacrifice, but we don't see or know them very well at all. Now, mothers in and of themselves sacrifice just about everything for our children. I'm sure that all of us could think of examples from the past year throughout the pandemic that we've been going through where we can see the sacrifices of mothers clearly being shown. Often, mothers sacrifice so that their children can have things that they never had. That's the example that we see from Nancy Lincoln, from Abraham's mom, whom we talked about earlier. She had no formal education. Yet she saw her young son being curious as to everything that was going on in the world around him. So although she didn't have a formal education, she taught her son and she taught him how to read. She taught them the importance of how to read and she instilled virtues of honesty and compassion in her son that served him all the days of his life. That's why we call him Honest Abe. Mothers make sacrifices it's just what they do. Yet Jochebed, we see within Exodus, and I would encourage you now to turn to Exodus chapter two, sacrificed even the gift of motherhood so that her son would have a chance to survive. Jochebed sacrificed the gift of motherhood, and we see that within Exodus two. It shares with us in Exodus two, verse one, that a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. Later in Exodus six, verse 20, we see that that woman's name is Jochebed. 
Continuing on, it shares with us in verse two that the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could not hide him any longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and put it among the reeds in the river bank. Verse four, and his sister stood at a distance to know that she, what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and said her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She looked with pity among him, on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Verse 7, then her sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Jochebed made a great sacrifice, even sacrificing the gift of motherhood so her son would have a chance to survive. Because what we see within Exodus 1 is that there is a new pharaoh, a new leader over Egypt. And this pharaoh oppressed Israel. He commanded those under him to oppress the Israelites. And the, pro and the problem with that was, Exodus 1.12 shares with us, that the more that these Israelites were oppressed, the, and, oh, oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. His plan was not working out so well. So this led them to enslave all the Israelites and the Pharaoh to command the midwives and later all the people to kill any Israelite child that was born. Jochebed, being an Israelite then, saw that she had, in verse 2-2, a fine child. This was a beautiful and a healthy child, one that the mother would want to keep. God clearly put a special bond between Moses and his mother. This child was special to her. And as we study the biblical narrative, we see that Moses was clearly a really important uh, person throughout Israel's history and throughout the text of Scripture. We see that Jochebed held him within her home for three months, but that's all that she could do because if she took any longer, people were going to be suspicious as to what or why she was staying in her house so long and what was going on here. Now, Jochebed made this great sacrifice. She made this great sacrifice by giving up her son, not to be killed, but that so he would live. So she made this small baby-sized ark and the Lord sovereignly ordained that the Pharaoh's daughter would be there at the end of the river to receive Moses, who is named to be a child drawn out of the water. Because of Jochebed's sacrifice, her child was then able to live and God greatly used him. That shares with us this, that a mother's sacrifices are never a surprise to God. Again, God's sovereign hand was clearly shown within this text. As Jochebed sacrificed her child, 
not to the rulers of the day, but she sacrificed him down the river where then God was able to give him a new family, give him a new life and to greatly use him. God sovereignly worked through Jochebed's obedience and sacrifice. And that allowed her son to become the leader of the nation of Israel. God has called mothers to sacrifice. Again, it's just what they do. Mother, God has called you to sacrifice, but know and remember that God always has purpose and a sovereign plan for the sacrifices that he has called you to make. Rejoice in knowing that God is doing good in and through your sacrifices, just as he did much good through Jochebed's sacrifice. Next, we see a woman that we know very well through our study of Ruth, and that's Naomi. So I would encourage you to turn over to the book of Ruth. And as we see Naomi here within this text, we see that Naomi is known as the spiritual mother. Because as we open up the first four verses of this, but she was that of a widow. It shares with us in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab and his wife and his two sons. The man was named Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Apathrophites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was without her two sons. These two Moabite women, the name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi was no longer a mother. She was a widow. But yet, as we continue to study this text, we see that regardless of our familial status, God provides a spiritual family for her children. Because as the text continues on, we see Ruth encouraging her two widowed daughters to return from where they were to find new men to marry. She understood that she would not have any more children, and if she possibly did have children, it would be a very long time before they would be able to marry uh, the two women. And so she just encouraged them to go away. You had no, they no longer had ties familially to Naomi. So she encouraged them to go and find new men to marry. And that's what Orpah does. It shares with us in chapter 1, verse 14, that she kisses her mother-in-law and leaves. But Ruth doesn't do that. It says that Ruth clung to Naomi. In Ruth's mind, the decision there likely meant that she wasn't going to be able to get to be married or to have children. I am here with Naomi. It's where we get those words that we so often hear within special ceremonies within the church. Where it says in verse 16, Do not urge me, Ruth saying this, to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall my, be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
Although Naomi was widowed and left without a biological family, she had a family by faith. She had Ruth. And God kept Ruth in her life to remain a faithful family member. Some listening here, like Ruth, are that of widows. You are left, or others are left without a biological family to deal with. Regardless of the situation that you're in there, remember this, that God never leaves you fully alone. That you may be deeply struggling, learning how to live again after the death of your spouse, or that you may feel completely alone within your circumstances. But God always gives you a spiritual family. It's one of the gifts that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. That the spiritual family that we can enjoy, that's not by blood biologically, but under the blood of Jesus Christ is a wonderful gift from God. And again, we see that oftentimes the spiritual mothers within our life, the non-blood mothers can have a really great impact within our lives as well. That was again seen in Abraham Lincoln's life after the death of his, father, uh, his father's wife, Nancy. Now at this time, Abraham Lincoln's uh, father was also a widow. And after 14 months, he returned to his, own stomp, his old stomping grounds of Elizabethtown, Kentucky. It's there where he reunited with an old friend and her name was Sarah Bush Johnston. Sarah had also lost her husband in an 1816 cholera epidemic. And Abraham's father, Thomas Lincoln, and Sarah were married shortly after they reconnected. She quickly invested in her stepson Abraham's life. She dressed the man so that, in her words, and I think that mothers of young boys could relate to this, so that he, quote, looked more human. <laughs> she brought a woman's touch to the cabin that they lived in so that or as they moved to Indiana. And the sacrifices, however, that Abraham's angel mother, Nancy Hanks, remained within Abraham. Her new stepmother found him to be a model child, calling him the best child that she had ever been around. Sarah outlived Abraham, and after his death, she said the following, I can say what scarcely one woman, a mother, can say in a thousand, and that is this, Abe never gave me a crossword or look and never refused, in fact, or even in appearance, to do anything I requested. She later spoke of his integrity, saying, he never told me a lie in his life, never evaded, never equivocated, never dodged. Abraham's biological and stepmother made a deep investment in his life. They sacrificed so that he could have a life beyond what they had ever dreamed for him. Similarly, there are many spiritual mothers, those who invest so much in others here within our local church body, within people that you know, that make great impacts with children, with families, that they may not be blood family with, but they hold tight spiritual bonds to. They sacrifice much, they give to their children more than they could have ever dreamed of for their own life. And yet the final mother we're going to look at birthed the son who did the same for us. And that is Mary. And apparently, I took Mary out of my slides there. So stick with me with Mary. 
Apparently I deleted the wrong one, so I apologize about that. Mary is the mother of a savior. And we see that Mary's pregnancy was unexpected. Mary had an unexpected pregnancy. If we look at Luke chapter one, it shares with us a couple things about Mary. It shares with us, first of all, that Mary came from really humble beginnings. In Luke chapter one, it shares with us uh, in verse number 10 that Mary, uh, sorry, that Mary in verse 26, it shares with us, I, I am all backwards here, hold on a second. That Mary came from humble beginnings because in Luke chapter one, verse 26, that this angel that the Lord sent to share with Mary, that she came from a place called Galilee. And this place that she came from was mostly known for its agriculture. That this wasn't a highly respected city. It wasn't a place that you would expect to be the place that's hosting a king. But that Mary was a very average woman that made a great eternal impact like so many other mothers here within our church. But as well in verse 27, it shares with us that she was a virgin, that she had no sexual relations with a man. She was betrothed, a form of engagement that they had during that time to Joseph, but that she was not yet married. Now, as Mary, this angel greets her and shares with us this news, we see that Mary responds to this in obedience, that Mary responded in obedience and she praised God. Mary praised God for what was going on within her life. Luke 1, 38, where Mary shares with us, she says, let it be to me according to your word, or her response revealed her godly character. And that Mary knew that she was going to be socially ostracized for this gift that was going to be given to her from what was shared. She knew that she was going to be accused of adultery. She knew that she could lose her life by stoning for this. But she was also placing her future husband and Joseph in a difficult position too. Yet she responded in obedience and the text shares with us in Luke 1, 46 through 49 that she responded with a psalm. This psalm, your, your Bible may title it as the Magnificat or that is a hymn or song shared by Mary coming from the Latin word magnifies that she magnified the Lord for this wonderful gift. This is Mary's psalm. It shares with us in verse 46 that Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations were called me, will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for all who fear him from generation to generation. Mary praised God for this gift, this blessing that she was able to have in her child, Jesus Christ. So as we conclude our time together, I just wanna ask you a couple application points. First of all, I cannot talk about the story of Jesus Christ and not first give you an invitation, and that is this. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, is the savior of mankind. 
is the only man that lived a perfect life, that died a death that he did not deserve so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. And the Bible shares with us that all we have to do to accept that free gift of salvation through Jesus is to pray and ask for that free gift from God. And if you've not done that, if you have any questions about that, my encouragement for you after the service is over is uh, to talk to Pastor Scott, who's going to be up here uh, to leading people in prayer that would like that. I'm going to be out in the foyer. Pastor Aaron will be there as well. Other folks from the church will be out there in the commons. And I hope that you will just take a few moments and that you'll talk to someone, that you'll find out more, and that you'll see how you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I would ask you to recognize and love the motherly figures that God has placed within your life. As we've seen here today, there's a lot of different women from a lot of different backgrounds from, that serve God in a lot of different ways, but God uses them each uniquely and they are a gift to us. So recognize and love those motherly figures within your life. If you're not able to see your mother today, like I'm not able to, I hope that you'll make sure that you give her a call, that you tell her you love her if you are able to. I hope that if your mother's passed, that you'll spend some time remembering, just like Abraham Lincoln did, those examples, those principles that she instilled in your mind. Honor and, and recognize those motherly figures today. But as well, pick one of the biblical mothers that we've studied today. Maybe star the one that you want to study in your outline this week. And do a personal Bible study of that woman this week. We just did a very brief overview of what are some really rich texts of scripture. So I hope that you'll personally take some time to study those things out for your own this week. Both Abraham Lincoln's biological mother and stepmother made a deep impact in his life. Long after he had grown up and after his father had passed and his stepmother, Sarah was a widow. Abraham would visit her every one to two years, and he described her as a good and kind mother. He gifted her and maintained for her a 40-acre plot of land, sharing his note on the gift for mother while she lives. And speaking of the impact that his mother made in his life, Abraham Lincoln said this, I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. When Sarah died in 1869, she was buried in a black woolen dress given to her by her stepson during their final time together before his passing. The dress was a token of Abraham's appreciation for all that she had done for him. Abraham recognized the gift of the mothers that God placed within his life and how he was better for knowing them and gleaning from them their example. And so are we. Let's look to the Lord in prayer together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples that you give us of godly biblical women. Lord, we have seen six within the biblical text this morning. We've seen the example of Abraham Lincoln's two mothers. But yet, from our church family and from our personal experience, there are so many others that each of us know that fit that bill. Thank you for the gift that these women are to us. Thank you that you have, through them, given us all examples that regardless of if we are ever, ever able to be a mother or not, that regardless of our circumstances in life, Lord, that there are examples that we can take from each of these women. 
So Lord, I pray that you would help us to praise you for this gift that you've given us today. Help us to honor these women within our lives here today and throughout the week. And Lord, again, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who was born of a very godly mother. And Lord, we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.